0: Meditation. This, for the next few moments this morning, I'd like to invite you to study with me on that topic. Perhaps a number of the features that we will ultimately discuss will perhaps be more far-reaching than we might have initially anticipated. These introductory thoughts, it seems to me, are in order. In Luke eleven twenty-eight, 28, we find one of the sweet beatitudes in the book of Luke that a blessing is pronounced upon those who hear the Word of God and keep it. You and I have a strong desire not just to know what the Bible says, but to put into practice that which we find in the sacred text of the Bible. And so today, as we study about meditation, what does the Bible say about that? Does it offer some words of powerful advice and counsel that can be a tremendous benefit and blessing to your life and yet even to mine? As we reflect on the subject, Let's use this next slide as an introductory one on the whole topic of meditation. Maybe you have read or heard some features and attributes of meditation. First, a definition. I simply use the Merriam-Webster dictionary just to place before us a common definition for it. And as you can see before you, it reads like this. To meditate is to spend time in quiet thought for religious purposes or relaxation. Equivalently, it is to engage in contemplation or reflection. I believe we'd all agree that many in our world are very respectful and even rather emphatic as it relates to meditation. Many of the Eastern religions, in fact, lift meditation to an exceedingly high position. For instance, those religions that, in, that follow Confucius or Buddha or one of those, again, in the far eastern part of our world, meditation is a critical and rather vital part of those religions. May I say, though, that there are many even in a far closer place to you and me that would be quick to say that meditation is good for you. There are some very good features and benefits that come from it. May I suggest you and I aren't so much interested in what man has to say, but rather what does the Bible have to say? You'll notice about the middle of that slide, the Bible uses the word meditate in a number of places. In fact, as we'll notice in a moment, some of those places are in some of the most familiar places in all the Word of God. Some of them are a bit less familiar, admittedly. But you'll notice in the Old Testament, that word that so often is translated meditate, comes from the Hebrew word that means to ponder, to muse. And one of the additional attributes is that that musing, it seems, by definition involves a planning. It involves a devising. In other words, there are plans that are going into that upon which one is meditating. Actions follow from it. In Psalm 2, verse number 1, Why does the heathen rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing? That word that's translated imagine is this very word meditate. This very word that involves to ponder, to muse. You and I know that that particular psalm is a prophecy of future occurrences. Those who make plans against the law of God. They devise in their mind activities directly opposed to the things of God. The Bible calls that meditation. Here are folks meditating on a bad thing or at least meditating on what is not productive in the kingdom of God. Look at another example. In Proverbs 24:2. we notice there that those that are evil, you and I are specifically told, don't be envious of them. You and I know how often individuals can follow a jealous matter or follow envious. We're told in the Bible, those that are evil, those that have directed their path opposite to God, we shouldn't envy them doesn't matter what features of their life there may be. You and I know that we have something far grander and richer in us. Isn't it fair to notice, though, that the word used is studieth? Again, same word. It's translated meditate, but there it's to study, and it involves to plot and to plan. There are those who plot against the things of God. As sad as that is, we know it's true. No wonder with those thoughts in mind, let's come to the bottom. Twenty times in the King James translation, we find the direct usage of the word meditate or meditation. And not only that, there are so many additional ones that are at least indirectly referenced. God has much to say, giving you and me some advice on the subject of meditation. Why don't we begin to notice first a powerful principle, and then we'll notice several lessons that we can extract from it. First of all, let's highlight immediately maybe what is the major lesson to take in immediately away. On what should we meditate? As you and I keep in mind then that we're going to consider what is it upon which we should think and ponder with the idea of devising in it those plans that are appropriate and beneficial in life. The Bible doesn't leave us to wonder. Why don't we revisit Psalm 119 verses 15 and 16 for a moment. In the midst of that longest chapter in the Old Testament, we find these words, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy law. You noticed with me in verse 15, he said, I will meditate. Here was an affirmative, a declarative statement bringing to the reality in the mind of the psalmist. Here was an intent to meditate on the statutes and laws and word of God. You notice, though, several verses later in Psalm 97, or rather verse 97 of that same chapter. Oh, how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. We might already stop to emphasize in our heart that the matter that should fulfill the object of meditation surrounds this book. It surrounds the sacred text of the Bible. You probably noticed that when he said, Oh, how love I thy law, it's my meditation all the day. We're about to learn shortly. He didn't mean that we should devote 24 hours a day to the study and reading of this book. Rather, what he meant is, it should be as thoroughly ingrained within us so that we are able to utilize its teachings all the time to direct our way. It has been the source of our thought, and therefore our actions that follow are based upon it. It's my meditation all the day. What about you and me? You might notice in the New Testament we come to this thought in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There is a declaration of consistency and yea, a powerful affirmation. Give diligence, the literal Greek rendering. You and I notice that this book is the very thing to which we should turn our pondering and the source of our thinking so that thereby we are able to make the right choices in life, to live the right way, and to be a blessing to ourselves and to others. Surely in light of that, why don't we then consider, so what are several reasons given in the Bible why we should be meditating like this? We're going to look at several of them. Again, our question Has God stated in His Word why it's good for you and me to meditate like this? The answer is yes. Let's look at the first one. To avoid sin. The text that was read in our hearing just a moment ago in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and revisit that and read it again with a sense of urgency and with a sense of appreciation. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The book of Psalms begins in a very intriguing way. Notice verse 1. Reference is initially made to a man walking in the counsel of the ungodly. He's walking in a pathway that's surrounded by those that are forces of evil, those whose ideas and intimations are not in harmony with the Bible. However, notice he says, not only are there those that walk that way, what about those that sit in the seat of the scornful? Here's a gentleman who's not walking anymore. He's now sat down. He's in the midst of that which is a scornful matter. He's now even more intimately surrounded by that which opposes the forces of good. But notice there's a third one. Sitting in the seat of the scornful, notice what's more. You appreciate on that occasion Here is one who's now stopped, and is now surrounded by perhaps conversing with what's evil. He is gradually being won over. What does verse 2 say? It says, but in thy word I'll meditate day and night. If you and I want to know how to avoid sin, if we want to know how to be strong enough in person and in mind to avoid the pitfalls that the devil can so readily bring before us, We have to be thoroughly engrossed in and engaged in and having meditated in that which is the Word of God. No wonder in light of those things, look at our development like this. You and I know that sin is a damnable thing. It's so destructive and it's filled with such confusion. In Jeremiah 3.25, we lie down in our shame and our confusion covereth us, for we've sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers from our youth even to this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. The inspired writer, speaking the words of God, said that sin's confusing. That is to say, it clouds the mind and it clouds the judgment if we allow it to do so. If you and I wish to avoid sin, and surely we do, we'd better be meditating in this book we'd better be filling our heart and mind with those precepts of truth such that we're then able to face whatever that matter is that comes before us might i invite you to notice it not exactly what otherwise is stated in this same book in psalm 119 verse number nine on that occasion directed to those that are younger May I say that even those of us that are older can benefit mightily from these words. It says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Whether young or old, if you want to know how to cleanse your way, to live an upright and upstanding godly kind of life, it starts and ends with this book. Two verses later, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against Thee. We all know the confusion that seems currently to be reigning supreme in the moral fabric of our land, and yea, the world at large. The only word of wisdom to offset that, to correct that, and to in fact instill within the minds of you and me and all others that is the way of rightness comes out of this book. No document of man ever written, no scholarly expositions of man ever presented can even compare to it. No wonder then we need the Bible and a lot of it. We need a world in which citizens and individuals at least respect it and have an understanding of the sacred and salient contents that it has within it. You'll notice in 1 Timothy 4 verse 15, one of the reasons you and I look then into meditation like this is because we know the following. If the mind is filled with that truth, then actions will appropriately follow. That's what Paul instructed Timothy, wasn't it? In 1 Timothy 4 verses 13 to 16, he in fact commanded Timothy to meditate in the Word. And that word meditate involves giving diligence. What Paul said would follow would be correct actions and right practices. The world is so confused today because it has far too long ignored what this book says. It's turned its attention to scholars and others who supposedly are so brilliant and wise. And we're going to learn another lesson later in our study today about the source and the object of that meditation. For right now, let's look at a second lesson. Wouldn't it be fair to say that not only that general discussion of avoiding sin involves our meditation, but what about major decisions in life? We all know that's a part of being a human being, isn't it? We come to a crossroads in life and a decision must be made, maybe a major one, something that will dictate perhaps many of the remaining features of our entirety of life in the flesh. We each can think of them, taking a certain job, entering into marriage, yea, many other kinds of major choices May I submit to you, the Bible has something to say before we ever make such a decision like that. Would you look with me at Proverbs 29, verse 20. First of all, never should a decision, a major one like that, be made hastily. Never should it be made without proper consideration and thought. You'll notice in Proverbs 12, verse 8, as well as James chapter 1, we're reminded then that these decisions have remarkable consequences sometimes consequences that will last for all eternity. Maybe in light of that, look at the bottom of the slide. We're told that there were some individuals in the Bible then who meditated prior to making these major decisions. Would you revisit Genesis 24 with me? That's a rather lengthy chapter, but in verse 63 of that chapter, reference is made to a man who was meditating. Could we ask, what was the circumstance in his life? We know it was this, Abraham was interested in the marriage of his son, Isaac. And so Abraham had given words of instruction to a servant to go and to in fact find a woman suitable from his own people for his son Isaac. The servant had been gone for several days and the text says that in the evening Isaac was meditating. And guess who was coming in the distance, the servant with a lady that would be Isaac's bride. I don't believe it was any accident that Isaac was meditating. A major change was about to occur in his life. He knew that he was, of course, the son of promise. He knew the promises God had given to his father, to his father Abraham. And here was Isaac meditating as he was about to be married. When you and I approach a major decision in life, ponder it carefully. Weigh the consequences in light of the Word of God. And do so just as Jesus did. In Luke chapter 6, he prayed all night long, carefully considering and weighing the choice of those apostles the next morning. Have you ever had to make a major choice? And did you spend quite a bit of time in prayer? Quite a bit of time considering, meditating, thinking, and pondering? I'm sure we each have. That's a wise course of action. May we ever continue it. Second reason, we first of all have looked at avoiding sin. Secondly, what about this matter now of making major decisions? We'll see a few more examples of this as the lesson goes on, but let's look at a third one. Lesson number three. If I mention the word success, what comes to your mind? I suppose that that's something that is a matter of great interest in each of us. We want to be successful. Wouldn't it be fair to say? A man wants to be a successful man, a successful husband, a successful father. A lady wants to be a successful woman, wife and mother. A person wants to be successful on the job. A success in the other avenues and attributes of life. Question, how do I be successful? Turn to Joshua chapter 1. And let's see if meditation has a part to play in it. Joshua chapter 1. We'll revisit the scenes of that early days of the book of Joshua. Moses had just passed on a new man. A man named Joshua was to be the new leader of Israel. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9, and I'll ask you to listen to meditation as it occurs in this passage. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance of the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest." This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Joshua If you want to be a successful leader, Joshua, if you wish to be a successful director of this people, meditation is an essential part of it. May we say, you'll notice it also dispelled fear. It also set aside the dismays and the other considerations that could so often lead to difficulties in life. Today, my friend, if you and I want to be a successful husband, wife, a successful man or woman, a successful employer, employee, it begins and ends with meditating on the Word of God. All of the necessary instructions are found right here. How often do you and I meditate on the Word? Do we allow ourselves, do we make choices in regard to filling our heart and life with this? If we want to be successful, this is where it begins. Isn't it amazing how simple that sounds and how profound yet that it is? We notice that not only this word given to Joshua, you and I can perhaps think of other examples. Have you ever heard of a gentleman named Isaac Newton? I'm sure many of us have. We studied about him in school. One of the most famous scientists that have ever lived. And yet, He was a student of the Word. He allowed his thoughts to be guided by the things of Scripture as he pondered the physical world about him. That's just one example. We could list so many others. No wonder as you come then to that top part of that, this matter of success. I believe we have each then identified the implication and the emphasis God has given to it. So that leads me to ask each of us a question. Do you and I make time in our schedule to meditate? Do we set aside some time such that we can ponder and muse over the matters of the Word of God? We all know that the television and the other sources of media can fill our whole day with all kinds of things that are wicked and untasty and ungodly and unwholesome. May you and I, with interest, make out time. The Bible talks about that. Why don't we turn again to Psalm 63, verse number 6, and look at there one of the pieces of wisdom that was given on that occasion. Psalm 63, verse number 6. When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches. Look over at Psalm 119, verse number 148. Mine eyes prevent the night watches, that I might meditate in thy word. We'll look at Mark 135 in just a moment. But you notice two references in the Psalms. Here was a gentleman, the psalmist, who recognized that maybe the day is so full. But he said there in verse 148 of Psalm 1:19, Mine eyes prevent the night watches. To put that in our language of the day, I'm going to stay up late to read thy word. Do you and I carve out a little time? Maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's in the night, maybe it's in the midst of the day, some time to reflect upon the teaching of the Bible and to meditate upon it. We looked at those two references that refer to the evening. What about the morning? In Mark 1:35, early in Mark's gospel account, the text says that Jesus himself rose up early a great while before day and went out into a solitary place and there he prayed. You and I know well that Jesus was the Son of God, and He was all-powerful. And yet, we notice even He here early one morning, He got up and went out to a place by Himself, nobody with Him, just so He could pray. Whether it be in the morning, whether it be in the evening, we find the Bible endorsing a number of choices. What's best for your schedule and mine? Let's make sure we meditate reflecting upon, studying, and learning things about the truth of God. Lesson number four. Living rightly does not happen accidentally. It goes without saying, and that's why you and I as parents know it well, we strive to instill in the hearts and minds of our youngsters from an early, early age the things that are true so they'll never forget it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he'll not depart therefrom. Proverbs 22, 6. We know in a similar way, even we who are older, we need our mind to be filled with this book. And so, it's not healthy for us spiritually to go weeks and months without giving any thought to it. The psalmist again said, day and night will I meditate in thy word. Always having an interest in it, making choices to reflect upon it. Several years ago, Brother Carl Sims held our gospel meeting, and you might remember one of the statements that he made during the course of that gospel meeting. He reads nine chapters of the New Testament every day. Every day. At least that's the statement he made. And as a consequence of that, he reads the whole New Testament every month. I don't do that myself. Maybe some of you do. But at the very least, do we find occasions and times during the day to reflect on the truth of God Maybe it's not for an hour, but is it just for a few moments, a minute or two, an opportunity to reflect and think about the things of God? You'll notice godly living will be a part of it. In Psalm 19, verse 14, one more time, meditation is described, and there it's presented like this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of mine heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. It was the petition of the psalmist that it would always be such that the thoughts of his mind and the considerations of his heart would be pleasing to God. That won't happen accidentally. It'll happen as a result of a life dedicated to this book, determined to follow it, and given to it in the various ways described in the Word. You'll notice in Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, we have another emphasis, at least a statement moving us in that direction. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. To what end? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. If we want to live soberly, righteously, and godly, it'll require meditation on this book, it'll require consistent consideration of it. Maybe it's in light of that, the place of prayer cannot be overstated, and it cannot be overestimated. Every day, do you and I pray to the Father? Every day, do we make an opportune time to address the great Creator of all things and lay before Him the fullest reality of our life? We sing a song sometimes about how much we need Jesus. The words of that song remind us of just how much we need to rely on Him. Do you and I do that every day or do we try to go it alone? with my strength and your strength and with my knowledge and yours. If so, we're bound to fail eventually. We're bound to come up short eventually. No wonder in, Mark, in Matthew 6, verses 5 and following, you'll notice there Jesus Himself taught His disciples to pray. If prayer is that important, shouldn't you and I appreciate it too? He taught them to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That simple prayer would be a great pattern for you and me to use. You'll notice in Luke 18, 1, we pray that we might not faint. Oh, how the flesh so often can be weak. May you and I realize if we meditate, we'll be better able to be strong. Isn't it fascinating then to come to yet two final lessons? And that last one really leads us right into this one. Godly living brings us to the question of strength. We aren't talking about physical strength. We aren't talking about lifting barbells. What we're talking about is a person who is a strong individual in character, in mind, in spirituality, if we want to be strong, meditation has to be a part of it. A person grounded and anchored in the right things, a person equipped with a thorough knowledge of the Word of God and conversant with it. Look at some of these passages. You realize again, back in this, the 119th Psalm, may I ask you to notice verse 23 Psalm 119, verse 23. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. David made reference on this occasion to a scene in which there were some rather high-ranking people, princes, and they spoke against David. They spoke against him. They didn't have kind things to say about him. In fact, they perhaps rather strongly opposed him. What did the psalmist do? In the midst of all their talking, in the midst of the way they were tearing him down, insulting him and belittling him, he said, I meditated in thy statutes. When you and I find these individuals who don't have many kind things to say to us and about us, they don't appreciate the choices we've made in life, may we, in the light of meditation, be quick to respond correctly. Not only that verse, look at another one. Verse 78 of the same chapter. Let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without a cause. But I will meditate in thy precepts. Have you ever had someone who was arrogant and prideful and they perhaps approached you and said things to and about you that were very hurtful and very damaging? You'll notice they did it perversely. How did the psalmist react? He said, I meditated in thy precepts. What about you and me? Look at a third example. Verse 86 of the same chapter. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. Oh, how you and I need the help afforded through the attitude and the reality of meditation. Do we do it often enough? Do we find occasions each day to reflect and meditate at least for a a little bit so that we'll be ready to react in the right way when those harsh circumstances arise? You'll notice in that same instance, it takes us back to the promises that God made. In the lesson text of the day, we read verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 1, but we stopped before reading verse 3. That verse goes on to highlight that those who meditate in the word of the Lord, those who meditate on it day and night, will be the very ones who in fact shall bring forth great fruit unto God. The very ones who are bountiful and abundant, You and I, if we want abundance then, we appreciate this necessity, this appreciation and strength to understand all of that. The sixth and final lesson, meditation, wisdom. We stated it earlier today, didn't we? Our world is in a confusing mess. So many have lost their way, they seemingly don't know any longer what's wrong and what's right. They don't appreciate the fabric of what's wholesome and good for either them or others. The main reason for that failure is because the Word of God is no longer filling the hearts and the minds of individuals. They've turned elsewhere for their wisdom. They've turned to what they prefer. They've turned to what society says. They've turned to what leaders proclaim rather than the wisdom afforded in the Bible. Look at how that relates to meditation. Why don't we start by noting verse number 99 of Psalm 119. Let me read verses 98 through 101. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation." I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Did you notice that powerful message? Here was a psalmist and he said, I am wiser than my teachers. Why? Because I know the sacred text and I've meditated on it. Doesn't that in fact have lessons for you and me today? There are those in high places. Sometimes professors and individuals acclaimed by the world in such high ways. And yet you and I, being worthy students of the Word and having meditated thereon, are wiser than they are. Doesn't that fill you and me with a confidence and an assurance? Notice the next verse, verse 100. I understand more than the ancients. There are those who sometimes are aged. They have a lot of years of experience, and yet you and I as younger know more than they. Why? We're wiser because we've meditated on the sacred text. We know the truth of God, and they don't. Maybe in light of all that, I again entitled it Wisdom. Wisdom. You and I know wrong from right. We know light from darkness. We know what's of the God and what's of the devil because of the Bible. We've meditated on the Word. Could I use this as a time to emphasize the importance of not only daily meditation, but our Bible study periods, In our worship services, may we never, ever miss them, if we can possibly avoid it. Understanding that in these times, we have emphasis upon meditation of the Word, pondering it and learning it. As we close this lesson this morning, God's law is the truth. And this truth is, of course, what's going to judge you and me in that last great day. This summary statement in this final slide is this one. What a tremendous value there is to thinking about the Word of God, pondering it, meditating on it. May you and I do it every day. Maybe there's someone in the audience today who in light of these great blessings we've learned realizes how far you've strayed from the truth of God. The plan of salvation requests, in fact demands, that as you come back to a faithful walk in life, you come back to Jesus If you, of course, have already become a Christian but need to come back to Him, do that today. We'd be honored to pray to God on your behalf. You must repent and confess those sins known publicly and invite us to pray to God for you. If you have never become a Christian, friend, why not today? This 22nd day of May, the year 2016. Your spiritual birthday, it could be a day the angels will celebrate and rejoice with you If we could assist you in that way today, it would set you on a course of wisdom and a course of meditation on the Word of God. A course in life that will not only be the best benefit for you here, but surely the best hereafter. If we could be of help to you today, as you believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized, we'd be honored to do that too. If we could be of help in any way today, why don't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.